Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. We're going to be in Psalm 36 if you uh, want to go there with us. We're starting a new series this morning called Summer in the Psalms. And uh, we're just going to be looking at the Psalms together. And we're not going to try to cover all 150 Psalms this summer, okay? So just relax. We, we've kind of handpicked some, uh, some for, for this series. And every one of these Psalms will have a song that we're going to sing on that Sunday that, that comes out of the Psalms. So we're, we're going to be interacting with the Psalms together over the summer. And you probably know this, but the Psalms were the Hebrew hymnal. So when, when Jesus sings a hymn with his disciples, he's singing a psalm, right? So we're, we're going to be just kind of soaking in these, um, these songs. And today, uh, we're looking at one that was uh, authored by David, King David. And before we read it, um, I just want to talk about the sort of the season that we've been in uh, here. We've been in a, in a very difficult season. Uh, we've had the shooting in Centerville. Uh, we have friends that were uh, related to the family that were there, that were part of our, our sending church. Um, we've had the shooting in Uvalde. And we've had, it feels like almost every week, a new shooting, Buffalo, um, all the places that we're hearing about. And this has been just a season of constant bad news. And as I was looking at this psalm, I just felt like there's something in this for us as people who are getting constant bad news that, um, that deals with resilience. And, and that's what I, I want to talk about. Um, I, I got an email last week. I'm on an email list for a pastor in, in New York. His name is John Tyson. And here's the, what the, the email said. Here's how it started. Another day in America, another mass shooting. I'm sitting here completely numb to what feels like an epidemic of violence in this nation. As hard as it is for me to process as a grown man, I cannot imagine how overwhelming this must be to young people today. These kinds of horrific events produce a shared cultural trauma. And that phrase, a shared cultural trauma that is difficult to come to terms with. Combine that with the pandemic fatigue that we all feel, political violence, racially motivated mass shootings, the killing of children by a teenager in the classroom, gender confusion, the pornification of everything, online bullying. How brutal these days have become for younger hearts. And as I read that, that beginning of the email, I just thought how brutal these days have been for all of our hearts, if we're honest, okay? And um, as followers of Jesus, how do we deal with the constant barrage of bad news of human evil and brokenness? How can we be, as Jesus described, the salt of the earth that doesn't lose its saltiness in the midst of constant crisis after crisis, tragedy after tragedy, problem after problem, bad news after bad news? 
news. And the temptation that probably you feel and I feel is that in some ways to kind of block it out and to kind of bury our heads in the sand. But I just feel like that would not be true to the mission, the calling to go and to make disciples of all nations. So that's, that's not a, a reasonable thing for us to do as believers, to bury our heads in the sand. So how do we stay fully engaged in our mission to our broken world while maintaining our hope? How do we become resilient? And that's what we're going to look at today in Psalm 36. That word resilient is the word of the hour. When COVID first hit, the word was unprecedented, right? We all said that, man, this is an unprecedented time. We would say that all the time, and we kind of got sick of that word. And then the next word became pivot, right? Y'all, y'all probably use the word pivot. We're having to pivot. COVID, have to pivot, right? We, that was the word for the, for the moment. And now the word is resilient. That's the word of the hour, It's a word that you're hearing probably a lot. And and here's what it means. It means able to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions. Able to recoil or spring back into shape after bending, stretching, or being compressed. We need something at the level of the heart, the level of the soul that's resilient that's, that's able to spring back into shape, that's able to recover in the midst of a broken world. And so um, let's dive into Psalm 36. I want to read this for us, and we're going to have it on the screen. You can follow along with us. I'm going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked person. Dread of God has no effect on him. For with his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. The words from his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He has stopped acting wisely and doing good. Even on his bed, he makes malicious plans. He sets himself on a path that is not good and he does not reject evil. Verse 5, Lord, your faithful love reaches to heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your judgments like the deepest sea. Lord, you preserve people and animals. How priceless your faithful love is, God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. They are filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing Stream, for the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. Verse 10, spread your faithful love over those who know you and your righteousness over the upright in heart. Do not let the foot of the arrogant come near me or the hand of the wicked drive me away. There, the evildoers have fallen. They have been thrown down and cannot rise. This is God's word. So we have this psalm, and it starts out with minor chords, right? This would be, if you're listening to this song being played, you, you can almost hear the, the sadness, the, the lament of human brokenness and human wickedness as he starts with this oracle within his heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. And 
as I was reading it, I was like, man, I feel this. And, and, and in this, um, this season of bad news, I, I've kind of felt, maybe what a lot of you have felt, is that I either respond with like absolute like numbness, like John's email said, like completely numb. You hear it and you're like, oh, it, it doesn't move you. Or you, you hear it and you're just like livid, like you're just angry, right? When I, when I heard about the, the, the Centerville shooting this week, I was just, I was just mad, right? just angry. And it's like we've, we, we kind of go between these two almost like emotional polarization. It's like I'm either totally apathetic or I'm just totally angry. And we, we feel that, that in the, the psalm, there's, there's a heaviness to the beginning of this passage as he's talking about wickedness. And I think it teaches us some things about how do we become resilient. That term wicked would mean ungodly or hostile towards God. These are not faithful people with moral flaws. These are people that are given over to doing evil. That's what the term would have meant for them to be wicked. And the first key for us, if we're going to become people who are resilient in the face of constant bad news, is that we need to be brutally honest about the badness of sin. We need to be brutally honest about the badness of sin. He, he describes it this way in the passage. He says that dread of God has no effect on him, or your translation might say the fear of God is, is not before his eyes. Right? There's, there's no fear of God before him. And what he's describing in these following verses is literally the effects of this, this badness of sin. And um, there's a quote that I found from Tim and Kathy Keller, their book, Songs of Jesus. And here's what he says about the fear of God. He says, fearing God is not mere belief in him. It is to be so filled with the joyful awe before the magnificence of God that we tremble at the privilege of knowing, serving, and pleasing him. That's, that's what fear, it's like, it's this joyful awe. But then he says this, sin shrugs. Hey, God, its essence is failing to believe not that he exists, but that he matters. And that's what the psalmist is describing. There's no fear of God. It's as if, you know, you, you, you're doing things and you're just shrugging at God like, I don't really care. Right? I, I don't really care. It goes on to talk about this self-deception that we see in verse Two, he says, for, he, he, for with his flattering opinion of himself, he does not discover and hate his iniquity. The, the Hebrew for flatter is to smooth or to smooth over. It's like you're smoothing over your conscience, telling yourself, it's okay, it's not a big deal, right? It's, 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 not, it's not that sinful, it's not that bad, it's, it's a little sin. It's, it's not, you know, it, I, I, I'm a sincere person, right? You're just smoothing over the conscience. There's a, a random thing I came across this week. In, in psychology, there's a, 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 some research on the Dunning-Kruger effect. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, the Dunning-Kruger effect. And what these um, two researchers have been studying is how we tend to, um, 
We, we are terrible at evaluating ourselves accurately. For example, 88% of drivers in America think that they are above average drivers, right? And you probably feel that on the road, right? Or, or maybe you're the one, right? And your spouse doesn't want to burst your bubble, but you're like, you know, I'm, a, I'm an excellent driver. I'm always the one driving. And your spouse is like, you know, holding the dash or saying, oh, you know, watch that, right? You, you, you just, we overestimate our driving abilities, right? I, I have friends like this, and uh, that's just how it is. And, and they've researched that this is actually statistically proven. So they, they did a study of two software companies and uh, the software engineers at both companies were asked to evaluate themselves, and 32% of the engineers at one company said that they were in the, in the top 5%, okay? And 42% of the other company said they were in the top 5%, which, by the way, is mathematically impossible that the top 5% is 32 or 42% of the company, right? We, we tend to over-evaluate and over-exaggerate our abilities, um, on, on average, they found that people tend to rate themselves better than most in disciplines ranging from health, leadership skills, ethics, and more. And here's what was so surprising. Those with the least amount of ability tended to rate themselves the highest. Which kind of gives credence to that, that old saying is like, I know enough to know what I don't know. There are people that don't know enough to know what they don't know, okay? This is proven here. And what they found is that we have what's called illusory superiority. Like we literally think that we're better than others or that we're really better than we actually are. And here's the scary part. All of us are susceptible to this because we all have pockets of incompetence that we don't recognize. And I saw one comment on this research, and it was you know, some random guy online. He said it beautifully. He said, whatever shred of self-confidence I had left is now completely gone forever. <laughs> and that's how I felt as I read this. But that's what he's talking about in the psalm. And he's not talking about like our ability to lead or, or our, you know, our driving skills. He's talking about our spiritual condition, that we tend to see ourselves better than we actually are, that there's a blindness, there's a smoothing over that we do with our own consciences to tell ourselves, like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. Um, there's this inverse relationship. When we have a low estimation of God, we tend to have a high estimation of ourselves. Charles Spurgeon, he said it this way. He who makes little of God makes much of himself. This self-deception can lead us into all kinds of things in our life. And this is the core badness of sin. That's what the psalmist is saying. This was the wicked person. This was the real issue. There was no fear of God. And he flattered himself in his own mind. Like this was the, this was the real problem. And it bears fruit, and here's the fruit that it bears. The words from his mouth are malicious and deceptive. He has stopped acting wisely and doing good. Even on his bed, he makes malicious plans. It's like this unresting desire to do something that is just wrong. 
He sets himself on a path that is not good, and he does not reject evil. And when we read that, it's easy for us to think about the, the mass shooter. We're like, that dude's wicked. But here's the problem. In Romans chapter three, Paul quotes this psalm, and then he says this, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. He takes this psalm that we would love to say is for those bad people out there, and he applies it to every single human being on planet Earth. And if we can't be brutally honest about the badness of sin, we'll never become resilient people. We'll either naively gloss over evil and human wickedness, or we'll be depressed beyond return, or we'll blame God for every terrible thing that happens, and we'll become terrible in the process. So if we're going to be resilient, we have to be honest about what's really wrong in the world. We have to be brutally honest about the badness of sin. But that's not all, because there's this jolting shift in the psalm that you probably felt as we're reading it. In verse 5, he, he kind of goes from the lament, the, the dirge of human wickedness and iniquity, and he begins to go into this ecstatic praise. And he says this, Lord, your faithful love reaches to the heaven." Your faithfulness to the clouds, your righteousness is like the highest mountains, your judgment's like the deepest sea. And it's like, it's like he's gone to this a beautiful, scenic place, and he's just picking the biggest things he can see. This week, we went to um, Crystal Beach, and we rode the ferry, and we're like, that's not even a deep part of the ocean, but we're just talking about the ocean and how deep it is, and only 5% of the ocean floor has been explored. Isn't that crazy? That we'll, we'll go to Mars and we'll go to the moon, but we can't go to the bottom of the ocean that's on our own planet yet. It's crazy. Like there's, there's so much mystery, the depth, the wonder. He's picking words that are beyond, um, they're, they're beyond um, measure. And I think it tells us this. We need to be breathtakingly clear about the goodness of God. At the very moment that we're brutally honest about the badness of sin, we need to be breathtakingly clear at how good, how majestic, how loving and righteous and merciful and just our God is. The, the minor chord has to give way to a major chord. There's, there's a dramatic build, right? This, this faithful love, this loving kindness. It's, it's mercy and love that have been mixed together. And, and it's without failing or ceasing. It's radical goodness. And it's and it's beyond the heavens. It's like if I, if I had a tape measure and it was an infinite tape measure and I could just start just pushing it up into the sky. It's like it would never, ever end. Like he's saying, look, that's, that's how vast your love is. Like there's, there's, there's no measure for, for it. Your, your faithfulness, this steadiness, your, your resolute commitment, it stretches to the clouds. This righteousness, the, the quality of being morally right it's bigger than the mountains. Your, your judgments, the, the act of deciding, the, the ordinances that you bring, God, 
Your justice, it's like the deepest sea. How priceless is your unfailing love? I mean, just, he, he, he doesn't even know like what dollar amount that would be. It's, it's priceless. Like if we could take all the GDPs of all the nations of the earth and combine them together, it would not be adequate to describe the pricelessness of the love of God. It's just this incredible contrast, this breathtaking clarity, and it's a contrast between man's badness and God's goodness. It's a contrast between the small, cramped, self-absorbed nature of sin and the spaciousness of God's love. It's a contrast between the ugliness of evil and the astounding, awesome beauty of God. And even in the face of wickedness, the psalmist sees, it's like you're, you're preserving man and beast. Like you're, I see your goodness even in the midst of terribleness. He sees God's boundless, radical goodness. And it's this breathtaking clarity about God's goodness that sustains us through the brutal honesty about sin's badness. I was thinking this week about um, Adam and Eve in the garden. You probably know the story, Genesis 3. The serpent comes and tempts them and you know, basically deceives Eve. And um, what was being um, attacked or assaulted by the serpent was the clarity about the goodness of God. That that the, the woman says, no, we cannot eat from that, we'll die. He says, you won't die, for God knows that when you eat of this, you'll become like him, knowing both good and evil. And, and what he's doing is he's just casting a little bit of doubt in her mind about the goodness of God, that he's just holding out on you. There's this whole life of stuff out there that you can enjoy if you'll just do this. Take it, eat it. And it was the lack of clarity about the goodness of God that ushered in the, the, the ugliness of sin, the badness of sin. Does that make sense? It's, it's the lack of clarity about the goodness of God that ushered in the badness of sin that we feel today that make more people think, well, if God is really good and if God is really loving and if God is really controlled, then how could this happen to us? So if we're gonna be resilient in the face of constant bad news, then we need to be brutally honest about the badness of sin. We need to be breathtakingly clear about the goodness of God. But then there's, there's this movement in verses eight and nine that reveals something that's incredibly wonderful and it's experiential. Just in case we were thinking that this is all like mind over matter, here's what he says. Verse eight, they are filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your refreshing stream. For the wellspring of life is with you. By means of your light, we see light. Here's the third point. The key to resilience is that we need to be regularly revived at the wellspring of life. We need to be regularly revived at the wellspring of life. Um, this 
offer of God is for every single follower of Jesus. Right? It's, it's the drink from the re- refreshing stream. It's like, it's like the woman at the well, the living waters that he tells her about. And, and just think about the words that he's, he's, he's offering here in the psalm. Right, The word filled from the abundance of your house. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? I, I want to go hang out at that house. right? Filled from the abundance of your house. You let them drink from your stream that's refreshing. We love that refreshing stream. That there is a, there's a wellspring or a fountain of life and it's with God. And there's light that we can actually see light. I mean, this is the, the fullness and the super abundance of God that he's saying, this is, this is available to you. And he's describing something at the level of the heart and the soul. That word wellspring um, reminds us of a a different point in Israel's history where the prophet Jeremiah had a a word for Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, the the Lord says in Jeremiah 2, verse 13, they'd been given over to idolatry and all kinds of wickedness we've been talking about. And he says, my people have committed a double evil. They've abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. And it reveals to us that the fountain of life is nowhere else but God. Right? The wellspring, the only wellspring of life is not that you, you, know, you have a, a great morning workout routine and you're eating super clean, right? And, and you're, you're totally organic or whatever your thing is, right? You're, it's not like we, we have visions of the wellspring. It's like, man, if I could live there, not here, that would be a wellspring. If I could, if I could you know, have this group of friends again, that would be the wellspring, right? And we have ways that we look for, for life in something else. I, uh, I heard a, a writer named John Eldridge, he's writing a book called Resilient, and he, he talks about during the pandemic how, um, I think it's two-thirds, over two-thirds of American households did home improvement projects. We, we, we did some. Did you guys, a few? A few of you did some? Yeah, right? You paint something. He talks about like the doorknob that's been broken for three years. All of a sudden, you're like, I've got to fix that now, right? And it's like, I've got to get this, you know. I'm, and he said, it was like we were all reaching for life to be good again. We just wanted life to be good again. And if I could just perfect my little, you know, however many square foot house, then, then life will be good again. And the thing is, Life's not in our houses, and life's not in our possessions, and life's not in our routines. Like life is in God. He's the wellspring. And he invites us to be regularly revived at the wellspring. Because if we don't, we will not be resilient people. Because you know that dry things become brittle and then they just break. Famished things faint. But God has said, there's a wellspring. So how do we get to the wellspring 
And I think that's the question that a lot of us ask. How in the world? Like, that sounds great. I want that. How do I do that? How do I get there? Well, here's where I want to close us. There's verse 7. Here's what he says. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. So the psalmist is using a, a picture, a word picture that's communicating something. We see this word picture throughout the Psalms, throughout Scripture about the wings, the shadow of the wings, the dwelling within the wings. And what in the world does that mean? Well, it's the picture of a, a, a mother bird who brings the baby birds under the wings. And you've probably seen this in the wild. I think there's a picture in the background that shows like two little babies underneath the wings of a mother. And, and what birds do is that they, they bring the, the young in like this so that when there is cold, like they, they keep them warm. When, when there's a storm, like they're, they're going to literally, all the, the rain's gonna pelt them, the, the elements are gonna hit them and they're gonna shield the young. And this is the picture of the cross of Jesus, where literally all the the punishment that we deserved, the wrath of God, he absorbs it. Like he brings us in to himself and he absorbs it for us. He, he takes the beatings. He, he takes the scourging. He, he has the beard plucked. He has the crown of thorns. He has the, the, the full punishment that man could give to him. And, and he brings us in all the things that you and I deserve because of what Paul said about that first part of this verse. That we are wicked. And he brings us in. And he lets it fall on himself so that it doesn't fall on us. That passage in Romans 3 goes on to say, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Since there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the way to the wellspring. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never turned yourself over, if you've never trusted in faith saying, Lord, I I don't know it all, I don't understand it all, but I know that you died for me on that cross, this is the day for you to make that decision to let the Spirit of God move your heart into the wings of the Father to receive the life that only he can give. Some of you, you might need to believe in him for the wellspring again. Here's what I mean. I'm not talking about being saved again. I'm talking about when we begin to look for life in other places, And we need to come and we need to realign our hearts with the truth that all life is in you, God, and it's not in all the other things that I'm looking for. You're the wellspring, Jesus. And I I confess that I have looked in other places for life and I have not found it. Your word is true. Forgive me. I align myself with the truth of your word. And this is how we come into the wellspring of life. I wanna just close with these questions Have you been brutally honest about the badness of sin? And I'm not just talking about the sin out there. 
I'm talking about the sin in here. Have you been breathtakingly clear about the goodness of God? That's a, that's a big question. Have you been breathtakingly clear about the goodness of God? And are you being regular, regularly revived at the wellspring of life? Friends, these truths and this offer of life are what will sustain us and make us resilient in the face of constant bad news. May we have this peculiar hope, resilient hope. Friends, we are the only people on planet Earth who have these resources. No, no one who does not follow Jesus has the resources that we have to be the resilient people that God has created us to be. The answers aren't out there somewhere. They're in here. May we forge a better way than apathy and anger as we draw from the wellspring of life. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.